Hey, good evening, people of Mosaic. We are glad you're here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We'd love for y'all to stand and worship with us as we focus on Jesus Christ, our King.
have a seat. Well, welcome, church. We're glad to have you. My name's Kyle Jackson, and I am the worship team leader here at Fellowship Mosaic, and it's good to see you. Hey, I've got a few announcements just to fill you in on, and first, I'd love to point your attention to uh, Fellowship Bentonville coming up. So Fellowship Bentonville was launched out of Fellowship Mosaic, actually, and um, we are in also our Sunday morning congregation. We're just grateful for what God is doing there. And they've actually had to move the date a little bit to the certificate when they get the certificate of occupancy to open. So we're just gonna be praying for them as they're having to shift some logistics around. But the big thing with this is we want you to realize that Fellowship Bentonville still exists. It's already existing. Fellowship is more than a building. Our church is more than a building. And it's what we believe the people of God gathered together as the church. So we're just gonna be praying for them. And if you want more information about what's to come with Fellowship Bentonville, just scan this QR code and it'll take you where you need to be. Next, I'd love uh, to, to share just some, um, what's going on with our Spectra Art Ministry. So we have um, the Arkansas Poet Laureate, I believe is how you say it. I don't wanna mess that up, but that's how I'm saying it. Um, if you would like to be a part of what's going on with that, um, she is in town and um, she's gonna be sharing some of her art and some of her um, poetry at, at an event on February 27th from two o'clock to 3.30 in the training center. So if you would like more information, just scan the QR code as well on that and uh, we'll, we'll take you to where you need to be. And last, I'd love to just share some opportunities for you to serve at our church. Um, Fellowship Mosaic, one of our, uh, we believe in released leadership. And what that means is that it is your job and your opportunity to get to do ministry. It's not our pastoral staff to, to make everything happen, but we actually really believe in releasing our church to do ministry. Um, so there's plenty of opportunities for you to serve. So if you're ready to be involved, just scan this QR code and a cool picture of what's actually happening tonight. Normally you'll, you'll notice our student ministry sitting somewhere in here at the 630 service and they're actually gone. There's a lot of leaders that are leading at that retreat. Um, so they're there right now. So it's kind of a cool picture of them serving our body uh, at, at, an, at another, another location. Hey, let's prepare our hearts to worship. Um, I would love to just go to God together in prayer. God, we love you. We're grateful for you. Lord, remind us of your faithfulness tonight. Lord, remind us that you are good we love you, God. Spirit, would you speak to our hearts in this moment? Would you soften our hearts, God? We love you and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Church, would you stand as we worship? We're heaven spun creations, his pride and adoration, treasures woven by. His careful hands, they hold us safe within his promise of calling and of destiny. Sing this with me. We're heaven spun creations, his pride and adoration, treasures woven by his love. His careful
to you in our worship, I'd love to point your attention to this prayer on the screen. We've been praying it together as a church to prepare our hearts to give a sacrifice to God. Whether that's money or time or service, whatever it is, would you just ask God, how can I be serving? And how does it make you feel when you're asked to serve? Would you just take a moment to pray this prayer amongst yourself and also to ask God those questions.
Father, we believe that. Lord, we know that your love is good and it's true and it's consistent. So Father, thank you for the moments where we can trace back through our life. Lord, also through stories told by family and Lord, even stories in the Bible where we can look back and see how far back your faithful love goes. Lord, thank you for that. Spirit, would you speak to us? Would you soften our hearts tonight to hear from your word? Help us not to leave this place the same, but changed. Lord, would it be by your grace that we do that? We love you, Jesus, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. You may have a seat. Good evening, Fellowship Mosaic. Good to see you guys. My name is Will, and uh, I'm happy to be with you guys tonight. I serve on the training center team here at Fellowship and also have the joy of uh, serving on the teaching rotation here at Mosaic. Tonight, we're going to wrap up our Ruth series that we've been in the last couple weeks. And one of the things that the text is going to do for us tonight is going to give us an opportunity actually to, to kind of look over our shoulder uh, and just to consider the hidden hand of faithfulness of God. And as we do that, I got to tell you, kind of on a personal note, I took the time this week, just knowing what we were walking through uh, here in Ruth chapter four, of just flipping back through uh, a simple prayer journal that I keep track of, that sometimes is such a great reminder, uh, especially if you're the type leader that's always focused on what's next, what's next, what next, to just press pause and to look back and see sometimes some of the prayers that God has answered in ways he's shown himself to be so faithful. And so uh, this past week, I, I took a chance to just see what were some of the things that myself and maybe our team on the training center that we were praying through uh, this time last February. And there were three themes that, that sort of started to develop and, and come to the surface. One was that the training center at the time, we were praying through, this affects all of you, uh, we were praying about how to best serve the Samaritan church team uh, as they transitioned and as they moved into that, that launch phase, uh, you know, how to best serve Matt and Scott and Joy and others uh, who were going into an environment to serve the overlooked and undervalued in Northwest Arkansas. Another big item that we were praying through was how do we best serve Mosaic in a season of, of transition and of resetting, specifically resetting that, that congregational triad that has emerged uh, here, and what a joy it is now to be able to follow the leadership of Nick and Colin and Kyle uh, as they lead us um, into the future. But the third big prayer that the training center that we were praying through was, and it was a little bit awkward, but it was how to get rid of Nick Rowland. Um, and you know, God faithfully answered all three of those prayers. And in fact, he's your problem now. And of course, I'm joking about the third one. We love Nick. And, and actually that season, there were a lot of prayers surrounding Nick uh, at the time. But one thing that it reminded us as we've sort of shifted roles uh, is that in a produce and release culture, uh, we've learned to hold very loosely to positions because we hold very tightly to a clear mission and vision that's been entrusted to us uh, by God. And so that transition has actually been really beautiful to go from teammate to congregational leader that is, is pastoring the hearts of my family. And uh, it's been incredible to watch God uh, navigate all that. In fact, if you're new to Mosaic or um, maybe you just happened to miss that particular night in December, I highly encourage you to go back December 4th. The title of the, the message that night was King of Peace. And just watch the way in about a 10 to 14 minute clip where Nick sits down and just has kind of a family talk uh, with us as a church. Just sort of focusing us on the things of what we've been through, but also where we're headed. And this idea that in 2022, we would be a congregation that reorients ourselves uh, to God, to one another, and to that very clear mission and vision uh, that he's given us. And so as we dive back in uh, to Ruth tonight, it really is an opportunity uh, where the text itself, it's almost as if Ruth 
and Naomi and Boaz and even the nation of Israel collectively are able to kind of look back over their shoulder and see the hidden hand of faithfulness of God and how he's been at work in their lives. So if you've got your Bibles or you want to pull it up on a device, um, we're going to be in Ruth chapter 4 as we close out uh, the end of this incredible narrative. Ruth chapter 4, we're going to pick up the story in verse uh, 13. And just to sort of recap where we've been, uh, the central characters of this book, the book of Ruth, have been Naomi, who has lost her husband and two sons, her daughter-in-law, Ruth, who's a remarkable lady, and you can go back and read these three chapters, uh, Boaz, who has, has now married Ruth, and then this is placed in the context of the, the people of God, the, the nation of Israel. And so in verse 13, we're sort of coming to the climax of this story. It says, so Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant and she gave birth to a son. You know, as you read verse 13, it's almost as if you could take a collective sigh. Uh, because what we see is the rest that Naomi and Ruth have hungered for, have been desperate for, is finally being provided to them in the form of a son. You see, verse 13, it's a key verse in this incredible book where the redeemer in this situation is not actually Boaz, but it's the son that's been provided for Ruth and Naomi. Obed, that is what they have longed for this entire time. As we continue on in verse 14, then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. You see, the women of the town are literally praising God for his provision. And there's this incredible sort of proclamation or request that this child could be famous in Israel. And what would not have been fully known at the time is just how famous he would be. That Obed, this child that God has provided, would, would be in family line to two of the greatest kings that Israel would ever know. King David who's coming just a few generations later, and also through that same line, King Jesus. But notice this phrase here. Notice how Ruth is referred to in verse 15. Your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. You see, this phrase, better to you than seven sons, in, in ancient Israel, seven sons was the ideal family. It was a sign of completeness. It, it communicated this idea that if a family had seven sons, they were very likely to be able to provide for the family. The, the family name had a high likelihood of continuing on if you had seven sons. It's the sense of completeness. And Ruth here, is being compared to God's provision of the ideal family in Naomi's life. And it should cause us to even press pause for just a moment and consider, on one hand, the expectation for Naomi for completeness, for sort of the fullness of God's provision might have been seven sons. And yet, on the other hand, God's actual provision was a daughter-in-law very loyal to her who had one son. And it should cause us to consider how often do God's provisions line up or not line up with our expectations. 
And what do we do with that gap, with that difference? In fact, you could even contrast Naomi's and, and the, the women of, the, of Bethlehem, their reaction here in chapter four versus the posture of Naomi in Ruth chapter one. Do you remember a few weeks ago as Ruth comes back to Bethlehem, what she says about herself and sort of her heart posture, it's very different than what we see here in chapter four. Look back at verses chapter one, verses 19 through 21. This is Naomi here. So the two of them, that's Ruth and Naomi, continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is this really Naomi, the women asked? Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? It's almost as if we're dealing with two very different women in a very short period of, a relatively short period of time. On the one hand, you've got Naomi that means pleasant. Me, call me bitter. In fact, in that moment, in full confession, I'm a, a leader that struggles with an addiction to 90s country. And that may cause your respect level for me to go way down. I understand it. I get it. But my life, in terms of like cultural influence and the shaping of my life, it goes Jesus and 90s country. Two very big influences in my life that have made me the leader that I am today, for better or worse. And so when I see Naomi's posture here in chapter one as she comes into town and says, call me bitter, I literally, the, the voice of Ronnie Dunn from Brooks and Dunn and Neon Moon is playing in the background. This is a woman who is bitter and feels as if God has forgotten all about her. And there's a principle, I think, that we can see here in the contrast between chapter one and chapter four. And it's this idea that sin and suffering often inhibit our ability to clearly see God's hand of faithfulness. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a season of life where it's as if God's hand of faithfulness is nowhere to be found? And so often in those seasons, it's either the sin and the suffering of someone else upon our life, or it could be our own that has caused our view of God to become skewed, to become marred, to become disoriented. And yet, one of the remarkable things about that is the longer we walk with God, it's almost as if there comes a, a, a little bit of a quickness from when we find ourselves in those moments where we cannot see the hand of God, we're able to pause and look back on his hand of faithfulness at other intersections of our life, and it has a way of renewing our hope so that the next time we find ourselves at that intersection, we're able to, almost with a, a quickness, become unstuck a little bit faster. And we see that in the life of Naomi. Let's continue on in verse 16. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, now at last Naomi has a son again, and they named him Obed, and he became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. It's important to kind of understand sort of the context and some of the meaning here in verses 16 through 17. Naomi here, she didn't become a wet nurse, but rather it's almost as if she becomes a nanny to Obed. Naomi basically adopts this grandson as her own child and marvels at God's faithfulness and his provision. 
You know, in this particular passage, or excuse me, in this particular passage, some of the, the, the leading biblical scholars love to sort of camp out on some of the nuances that are expressed here. And one of the things that they point out is in these closing verses in, in chapter four, it's almost as if Ruth, who earlier expressed tremendous faith and courage and, um, and godliness, even as she comes alongside Naomi, who, who was in complete despair. And we see in chapter one that incredible stand that Ruth takes of, you know, I'll go with you wherever you go. May your people be my people, your God, my God. Uh, in fact, I'll even be buried in your land one day. Like, I will never leave you. We see this incredible, you know, sort of godly trust in Yahweh by Ruth. But here in the, the closing verses of verse four, it's almost as if Ruth starts to sort of shift in the background and it all becomes about Naomi. And in order to understand that, we've got to be reminded that, that at least in the author's mind, the, the book of Ruth, one of the purposes is to show God's hand at preserving the family line leading up to King David. You see, the writer here likely emphasizes Naomi over Ruth simply to highlight God's provision for the line of Judah in a season, in a moment, where there appeared as if there was no hope. And one of the remarkable things about that is how God provided and how he continues to provide and how so often it's almost as if God loves to provide in some of the most unexpected ways just to show his goodness, his power, and his sovereignty. And so here at the intersection of Naomi and Ruth, you have God providing a kinsman redeemer through Boaz to Ruth. And yet, he's accomplishing the continuation of Naomi and her family and the line of Judah by providing a son, Obed. And it's an example of how Ruth's faith in God, even though she was a Moabite, is what qualified her to become a channel of God's blessing. In fact, it was, it was so uh, striking to me to even consider the origins of the Moabites. And you can read about that in Genesis chapter 19. It's one of the darkest sort of train wreck moments that a family could encounter where actually Lot has an incestuous relationship with his two oldest daughters and the Moabite people come out of the, the line between Lot and his oldest daughter. That is Ruth's people of origin. And yet God would fold her into his plan, into his sovereign plan, to where she would become the great-grandmother of King David. You see, Ruth and the culmination of this story is an example of God remaining faithful to the nation of Israel as he folded in Gentiles to his sovereign plan to make himself known to all nations. And I don't know about you, Mosaic, but that gives a guy like me tremendous hope. As we come to the concluding verses here in chapter four, verses 18 through 22, I gotta admit, probably for most of us when we come to a genealogy, it's really easy to sort of gloss over that or go, oh, there's a bunch of names I can't pronounce. Clearly there's nothing in there for me and we skip to the verses that follow. One thing I'd love to, to just point out to you is that how, how powerful some of these genealogies can be and, and literally with just some simple spade work and a decent set of commentaries, actually some of these passages really come alive and you, you're able to see the way that God's hidden hand of faithfulness was woven through the lives of people. People who at times 
expressed tremendous faith and radical levels of obedience, and at other times experienced the, the depths of despair and disobedience and sinfulness that human beings could ever invent or imagine. And yet you see God at work in spite of our choices. And so here in verses 18 through 22, we have a genealogy that that includes 10 names. This is not meant to be an exhaustive list or even like an exhaustive family tree, but really what this genealogy is meant to do is to take the story of Ruth and show where it ties in to Israel's past, but also show the the pivotal moment that it, it played in to where God was working with what was to come. It shows the hidden hand of God's faithfulness in less than ideal circumstances in ways that no one saw coming. And sort of the the, the capstone to this incredible narrative reminds us once again that even as sin and suffering may inhibit our ability to clearly see God's hand of faithfulness, thankfully, God uses things like his word and his spirit and his people to consistently illuminate his hidden hand of faithfulness in our lives. You see, even as we've studied the book of Ruth together, Sarah and I have seen this principle true. There's, there's something about sitting down, whether it's in a worship gathering or in a quiet time or certainly in community and reading God's word. There's power even in its simple proclamation, even in the hearing of God's word. And you see a woman like Naomi who was in complete despair and was disoriented and could not see God's hidden hand of faithfulness clearly, and you watch the progression that she didn't stay there, but actually she got to a point where she could see God's hidden hand of faithfulness clearly. And you you see, you read through that biblical narrative, and it has a way of empowering your own life to pause and go, where is God at work in my life? Coupled with God's spirit, And the way that when we meditate on his word, when we spend time praying over his word, how his spirit has a way of illuminating parts of our life that are in need of a reminder of God's hidden hand of faithfulness. But then finally, you throw in that element of community where you start to study the scriptures with others. And I think one of the things I've enjoyed most even about this series was just the way in week one, Colin and Melissa sat up here and unpacked the major themes of the book of Ruth. And then uh, later, Nick and Melissa un- unpacking chapters two and three and, and, or chapter four for us. Uh, our community group, we commented that through, through the teaching of God's word in that way, it was almost like there was a community group going on and we were just in a living room together as a family studying God's word. And so the number of conversations that have happened around the dinner table in our home, around God's faithfulness, there's something powerful. You could almost call it like a a recipe for spiritual growth when we place our lives at the intersection of God's word and God's spirit and God's people, and we allow those things to illuminate God's hidden hand of faithfulness in our life. And so Fellowship Mosaic, Tonight, as we wrap up this study of Ruth, I got two questions for you to consider. Maybe you can chew on these tonight over dinner or in your community groups this week. But number one, where have you seen evidence of God's faithfulness in your own life? Take the time to press pause and look over your own shoulder. Where have you seen in your life evidence of God's hidden hand of faithfulness. Maybe it's right in the rear view mirror. You know, you're going, man, I experienced that this week. Or maybe it's been a while since you've even engaged in that discipline and you might have to look back a few years 
to consider God's hidden hand of faithfulness in your life. But then secondly, how could you be used by God to illuminate his hidden hand of faithfulness in the lives of other people? In fact, how would your current context for community change if every member on a weekly basis showed up to a coffee shop or a living room or a kitchen table with the expectation of how could I be on the lookout for God's hidden hand of faithfulness in the lives of people that I live in community with and put a spotlight on that. Because as we saw earlier, it's incredible when God can use us when someone is in one of those seasons where they're disoriented and they cannot see the hidden hand of faithfulness of God to put a spotlight on it for them. You know, for me, when I ask these two questions, particularly the way I would answer that second one, it involves actually a lot of gratitude to fellowship. You know, one of my favorite things about serving on the, the training center team is I serve on a team that exists to equip leaders to multiply. And one of the ways we do that is, is through uh, core training in the classroom experience, certainly. We do that through, through coaching with, with partner churches and church plants and organizations around Northwest Arkansas. But then there's also this third component that involves some of the stuff that we do. And we call them leadership foxholes. And we do this with ministry leaders, with marketplace leaders, with nonprofit leaders, and most recently, even with some military leaders. And some of those occur with leaders right here at Fellowship in Northwest Arkansas, but even other parts of the country and even on an international basis. And in the first six weeks of 2022, the training center was able to host six different leadership foxholes. These are just cohorts of leaders that form basically a, a small group, a cohort, and they agree to get out of the line of fire, climb down in a foxhole. We facilitate some soul care and provide some space for a weary leader to rest. We share best practices of how God's at work in our various contexts. But we're also, we jump down in there with an expectant spirit that God's gonna give each leader a clear line of sight on his or her next best move as a leader as we climb out of that foxhole. And one of the things that ends up happening in those cohorts is that leaders start to put a spotlight on the hidden hand of faithfulness in the lives of the other leaders. Sometimes those leaders are weary and are literally at a breaking point and ready to quit. And it's a leadership foxhole that provides the rest and reminder that God loves them and he's got a plan for their suffering and he's given them a group of people that care for them that allows them to keep going in their context. And it's an expression. When, when Kyle put that, that generosity prayer up on the screen earlier and that idea of, Lord, could our tithes and offerings be used to provide rest for the weary. These leadership foxholes are an expression of the generosity of fellowship that over these first six weeks, we've been able to serve 40 leaders from over 25 different churches, providing rest for the weary and a reminder that God's hand of faithfulness is present. And so as we wrap up this series, Mosaic, I can't help but wonder, what if in 2022, as a congregation, we continue to reorient ourselves to God and to one another and to our mission and vision? And what if, as we do that, God were to use us, every leader that's a part of Fellowship Mosaic, to become people who illuminate his hand of faithfulness all across Northwest Arkansas and the world. What kind of impact, what kind of ripple effect could that have in our communities? I gotta wonder, 
And so tonight, I'd love to close out the message, even as we continue to sing about the faithfulness of God, just asking him to help us become sources of illumination of his faithfulness. Mosaic, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you for being a God who illuminates. Thank you for the way that you and your spirit, your son and your word bring truth to our lives. Thank you, Lord, for the joy of being a part of your church, that as we gather together, we remind people of your faithfulness. We sing songs of praise to you for your faithfulness. And Lord, I pray that you use this body here to be a source to illuminate your faithfulness to Northwest Arkansas, to the ends of the earth. God, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
share a story briefly of something I've been walking through in the last few months. Um, I found out around September, October time frame that I had a tumor in my face, uh, not a brain tumor, but a bone tumor under my right eye. Uh, and it was terrifying. Uh, I wasn't sure if it was cancerous or not. I wasn't sure what the future meant. But as I'm recalling God's faithfulness in my life, this most recent season is what comes to mind. And just to finish the story, I actually left people hanging in the first service. I didn't tell them this part, so I'll tell you this. Um, I found out that it was not cancerous. They were able to remove the tumor, so praise God for that. But the question is, what if it was cancer? Would God still be faithful? I had someone remind me of that after the service at, at five o'clock. Hey, what, what, would, what would it be if it actually was cancer? Would God still be faithful? So I say all that, not to tell an emotional story or to um, make myself um, the object of our worship right now, but to point to Jesus um, in your story. Has God been faithful in your story? And where has he been faithful? So would you just take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to tell you, give you those moments where he's been faithful in your life?
passage together from Ruth. Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. May he renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Church, if you need prayer, we've got our prayer team around. They'll be on the side walls. They have white badges. They would love to pray with you and connect with you. Let's say this as we prepare our hearts to go. Let's go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And the people said, thanks be to God. See you next week, church.